to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And a late-breaking story that uh, Radovan Karadzic has been arrested. Huh. A big-time wanted Bosnian Serb, quote, war criminal. That has interesting consequences because of the fact that they set up an international tribunal to try these at the world court in the Hague. Yeah, in the Hague, yep. And uh, just recently, the uh, there's been open discussions of indicting the leader of the Sudan for war crimes, but uh, silence regarding the war criminality of the current administration, which uh, I can say fairly and without hesitation, probably the George Bush will go down as the first major war criminal of the 21st century. The situation in the Sudan, just really quickly, is obviously tragic and whatnot, but the um, links between Bashir and the so-called Janjaweed is not quite as direct as the <laughs> links between the neoconservatives and the war in Iraq. And, of course, plenty of debate about that subject with uh, Barack Obama going around uh, Afghanistan, and uh, today he's in Iraq. And On a statesmanship tour. Statesmanship tour, and just a brief comment about that. Um, I realize that photo ops are part of the, the ball game here in the presidential campaign, but when Barack Obama looks considerably younger <laughs> than many of the troops he's meeting, uh, I, I'm not too sure that that's the photo op he, he really wants, but... Oh, well. <laughs> well, I have to make some witty comments about youth at some point. Yeah, and speaking of witty comments, there is sort of a, a minor uh, tempest in a teapot about uh, humor and uh, or the lack thereof in the Obama campaign. Oh, the cover, yes. The yes, cover of the New Yorker magazine. Ishmael Reed has a piece on uh, counterpunches online that, while he makes some interesting points, I think he's incorrect in his assessment of the work of uh, artist Robert Crumb. So I don't want to give Ishmael Reed a brain damage award, but I just think he's, he's wrong about Robert Crumb. Uh, this is a story that's going beyond just Maureen Dowd and her uh, comments about uh, the lack of a sense of humor in the Obama campaign. Uh, they're writing about it in the Financial Times as well. Um, and it is interesting uh, the extent to which there's a sense of caution around making jokes. Now, obviously, these jokes will come. They will arise. Uh, the problem with the New Yorker cover is that it's meant to depict the paranoid fantasy of racist individuals mm -hmm. who might think that, oh, this is what will happen. Um, and it's hard to get that impression just from glancing at the cover because, of course, it's out of context of the framing that uh, an individual down in the corner who's sweating and nervous in his bed, having such a paranoid vision, then there's no problem with that cartoon. I think, right. Um, the fact that it's not contextualized by a paranoid dreamer, um, renders it ambiguous and therefore open to multiple interpretations and the racist uh, critiques of it. Yeah. And I think that the interesting, Tempest in the teapot about the cover is is how much publicity it actually got all last week. Uh, There's with, not that much else going on in the campaign. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. And, of course, uh, when the editor of The New Yorker, which 
in my opinion, as a, as a publication, has greatly improved uh, in recent years in terms of the substance of what it puts out, at least in terms of the political analysis. Seymour Hirsch um, and Jane Meyer in particular have done groundbreaking work about what's really going on. Seymour um, Hirsch is probably America's most important journalist at this point. Well, he is because he has infallible sources high up in the U.S. government that um, pretty much believe that the lunatics have taken over the asylum. <laughs> and uh, they're worried, mighty worried. Um, one of the reasons that he's had so many splashy stories about the Iran situation is uh, the people in the Pentagon think this is total insanity. Right, this gone is, too far. This is, you know, Adolf Hitler almost. Um, one of Hitler's problems in World War II is he he opened up too many fronts. Well, he didn't listen to his generals. Yeah, and, and there was a certain point where the generals realized that he was... Uh, a madman. A madman. <laughs> <laughs> in need of therapy, more than therapy. Um, Alas, it was too late at that point to do much about it. too late, and, and of course there were actually plots against Hitler, um, Admiral Canaris was uh, a prominent uh, anti-Hitler establishment uh, person. Well, even Rommel himself yeah. turned against Hitler yeah. when he realized the futility of the entire enterprise and was, you know, killed. Exactly. So um, the lunatics have taken over the asylum. But I think that, yeah, David Remick uh, having to explain the cover all week obviously is awkward, and it's one of those situations where I guess the old saying goes it's maybe too clever by half. It's just over the head of most people in terms of the satire. But the humor in The New Yorker has always been brilliant, historically brilliant. And uh, I do think that there's an important aspect of understanding uh, humor, satire, whatever, um, and, and cartoons. It's, by the way, very interesting... Uh, revelation that uh, it turns out that the famous uh, cartoons in the Danish newspapers uh, turn to uh, turn out to have been sort of orchestrated by Mossad, um, knowing that they would get this tremendous rise out of the outraged uh, Muslims around the world and the offense that that cartoon in the Danish newspapers. Um, Regarding the bomb and the mullahs and all that stuff, right. we don't need to go into that too much. But uh, makes you wonder if it wasn't uh, some folks within the Likud party who agreed to release recently some of the most despicable uh, criminals uh, in the prisoner exchange that uh, Hezbollah in Israel just underwent. I uh, forget the guy's name, but he, he killed a couple of children in a beach raid mm -hmm. um, as a... 16 or 17 year old but he's been in prison for 30 years the photos of him being released he looks like a disturbed man he's yeah got the deep sunken eyes and so forth and uh you know who knows why his name came up on the list and uh maybe uh or why prisoners would be exchanged for dead bodies <laughs> but yeah we need not go into <laughs> uh the, the mysteries of necrophilia <laughs> Uh, human remains and all that stuff. Obviously, there are many religions uh, globally that regard human remains as sacrosanct. Um, well, interestingly, by the way, including the Vietnamese, 
Uh, it's always uh, interested me that the United States made a big deal uh, for, oh, maybe five, six years about so-called MIAs and POWs and remains that the American government asserted that the uh, Vietnamese... Holding out on us. Holding out on us and knew about where they were. Um, meanwhile, the facts were that uh, while there were several thousand so-called MIAs, um, the American military knew that the vast majority of them had disappeared over bodies of water, i.e. swamps, uh, lakes, etc., and that there were 300,000 uh, MIA Vietnamese people and that part of their religion uh, regards the remains as sacrosanct. Right. So it... Uh, well, even to contextualize that further, the yeah. numbers of MIAs from World War II, just in Europe alone, greatly outnumbers the MIAs, American MIAs from in Vietnam. Sure. And there was never much of a fuss about that. And to bring this back to the recent... I think the number on that, by the way, was about 70,000. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know... What, what can you do? What are you going to do? Right. I mean, things get blown up into little pieces, yeah. and uh, including bone chips and so forth. But just to kind of bring this back to the uh, ex exchange between Hezbollah and Israel, um, of course, the big attention's on the two dead bodies returned to Israel. But it's, I think, worth noting, it's overlooked in a lot of the media sources, that Israel uh, also turned over, in addition to some living prisoners, the remains of 200 Lebanese and Palestinian fighters. Um, that kind of contextualizes the the kill ratios mm -hmm. in this uh, endless skirmishing. And let's remember that the two soldiers in question, that was the pretext that Israel used to start the entire recent war in Lebanon that killed over a thousand uh, Lebanese uh, with... Uh, Shall we say inconclusive results, uh, and uh, I'm not too sure if they're having victory parades in uh, either Israel or uh, I'm sh sure that Hezbollah is well Lebanon staging looks, a few. But yeah. Um, yeah, this this whole word victory and war is really becoming kind of troubling. While John McCain uh, continues to be confused about the Shias. And uh, the Sunnis and Czechoslovakia and all sorts of other problems. The so-called expert on foreign affairs. Right. And uh, just while we're talking about John McCain, a brain damage award here because he just won't give up on this gas tax um, suspension. Right. I mean, it's a non-starter idea. Uh, well, it's too late now. <laughs> it's too late now. But uh, he wants to extend it for three months. You know, this is just from a recent clipping here. Uh, he said Thursday that his proposal to suspend the gas tax for three months this summer, of course, it hasn't happened yet, so those three months are still on paper, may need to be extended longer if high gas prices continue to take a toll on the economy because it's hard on drivers. But um, this is absurd. I mean, the uh, the benefits from this are, are extremely limited. I mean... You're going to save what? If you fill up your tank in your car and it costs you 50 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever, somewhere in there, knock off the pennies per gallon. I think it's 18 taxes. cents. Okay, a couple of dimes <laughs> per gallon. 18.9 Woohoo! Thanks, John McCain. That's big savings to pass on to our children's legacy fund.
Yeah. It's meaningless. It's meaningless, but it's psychologically, uh, and I guess we can briefly uh, honor the demise of Phil Graham as uh, co-chair of the <laughs> McCain campaign. Top, top I'm e- Phil Graham. Top economic advisor and uh, apparently destined to become Secretary of the Treasury uh, if uh, John McCain wins. Perish the thought. Uh, hopefully Phil Graham can reassure Americans as frequently as Henry Paulson does that uh, the fundamentals are sound. Um, quite a bit of question about the fundamentals, by the way. I don't want to get into this article in too great a detail, but the Sunday New York Times has a superb uh, major, major analysis of... Uh, the economic burden that the American people have, uh, titled Given a Shovel, Digging Deeper into Debt, that shows that the average American household, this is debt, total debt per household is $117,951. Roughly 85000 of that is mortgage debt. But what fascinates me about this is the other debt, which, you know, totals about... 33,000, 34,000. This is per household in the United States of America in comparison to $392 of savings, which uh, shows that Americans have a debt ratio of 1,000 to 1 per average household, and yet the fundamentals are sound. What's good about this chart, by the way, is it shows the essentially the condition of the American people uh, dating back to before the Depression, and uh, how savings rates have de- steadily declined and debt, variety of debt, has steadily increased, uh, including uh, credit card debt that averages almost $9,000, uh, vehicle loans, uh, almost 15000 and various home equity loans that, by the way, are generally used to finance uh, college tuition and, oh, Trips to the beauty parlor and liposuction <laughs> and whatnot, you know. Well, the Financial Times reports that the uh, U.S. inflation rate has uh, just undergone the sharpest rise in three years. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, quoting from the article by James Pulity here, on a yearly basis, the consumer price index gained 5% in June, the largest increase since 1991. Yeah. So, I mean, there are serious economic problems, and Phil Graham obviously had to go uh, because of uh, a mental recession on his part. <laughs> uh, speaking of mental recession, let's uh, give out Larry Craig a quick brain damage award. A lot of uh, debate last week about... Uh, Ready to tap my toes. Drilling the uh, drilling the, drilling uh, in the outer, outer continental shelf and right. Bush's baloney about the fact that if we start drilling now, we can somehow reduce gas prices, never mind that none of this oil actually gets onto the market for five years. Yeah, and and apparently it's been now exposed that the oil companies have all sorts of uh, leases on federal land that they're not taking advantage of. Well, and the last time these areas were surveyed, too, the technology was, you know, this is the 80s. Yeah. And so the technology's improved a lot. In fact, uh the failure rate is from a news analysis by Sheila McNulty. The failure rate is still high until exploration wells can be drilled in promising areas. Two out of three exploration wells in the Gulf of Mexico turned out to be dry holes. So there's no guarantee that there's going to even be anything there. 
Right. Um, and George Bush is an expert at drilling for dry holes. Dry holes. As the Iraq War. But at least we can go over to Afghanistan and smoke them out of their holes. Uh, more on that in a second. But getting back to Larry Craig, uh, this man is <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, he apparently is not running for re-election, so we Aww. need not worry too much more about his speeches on the Senate floor. But in response to uh, the oil uh, situation, he uh, went into some big, long explanation for why we need to um, drill for more more oil uh, here domestically because of, you know, those dastardly foreigners. And he went on to say this memorable line. He said, we've got to stop having these foreign countries, quote, jerking us around by the gas nozzle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. And I thought, whoa. Talk about your... uh... Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) I say, you wouldn't uh, mind uh, grabbing the old gas nozzle there, would you? Whoa. Wow, what a metaphor. And where did he come up with that one? Uh, I think that joke is... Definitely going to be on bathroom walls throughout America. As uh, and and speaking of the bathroom walls, there was once a uh, New Yorker cartoon showing a Minabinijad uh, tapping his toe on a bathroom. Oh right, yeah, right. yeah, it's a famous uh, satire that, that didn't seem to offend too many people here in the United States. So yes, Larry Craig gets a brain damage award for that uh, inartful expression uh, given. The circumstances surrounding his public career. <laughs> Maybe if it were fellow Americans who were jerking us around by the gas nozzle, it might be okay somehow. But yeah. uh, no, it's them foreigners. Wow. Yeah. I hadn't heard that one. That's incredible. Well, uh, Governor Crist, uh, Charlie Crist of Florida, um, apparently he's on the list for a potential vice presidential nod from John McCain. Uh, deserves a brain damage award himself here for his comments on drilling off of Florida. He says that, uh, I think it's a difficult decision that I have to make as somebody who cares about the environment to realize that my fellow Floridians are hurting financially right now. Well, if you care about the environment, you probably are aware of the fact that the cost versus the returns of the drilling for oil, and that includes all the environmental degradation, the heavy, heavy investments, the likelihood that they will, in fact, turn out to be dry hauls, you might end up with a whole lot of nothing except for the environmental degradation, which is unavoidable. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is going to cause disruptions in for fishermen and for all sorts of sea life and so forth. So kind of a ridiculous assertion on his part. This article uh, by David Fickling in... Uh, The Financial Times of uh, July 18th goes on to quote a Rasmussen opinion poll that found that 67% of voters supported expanded offshore drilling. These are Floridians. And 64% thought that it would be likely to bring down petrol prices. Well, they're just wrong. I mean, 67 and 64% might think that, but they're wrong. And, of course, let's remember the demographics of Florida, you know, the old fogies. Um, that want to play golf and uh, you know retire in Florida and drive around uh, in their heavily air conditioned mobiles, big cars, um, probably are a little more concerned than the young folks that maybe are more concerned about the beaches 
and why people go to Florida to begin with. Um, obviously, there's plenty of substance and and lack thereof uh, regarding the energy debate uh, here in the United States of America. Uh, let's remember that Jimmy Carter was <clears throat> brutally mocked for uh, pointing out the seriousness of America's energy problem uh, back in the late 70s. Well, even such mild suggestions that he made yeah. as turning your thermostat down and wearing a sweater. People made fun of that, mm -hmm. whereas we haven't really heard. I mean, yeah, we're beginning to see because of the high prices the um, use rates. Americans are using less gas. Uh, those are going down. Because of the high cost, but gee, it would make a lot of sense to offer incentives and encouragements, and you know, offer alternatives to people so that this could become a trend which continues. Yeah, and who would have thought that T. Boone Pickens of all people would start to turn out to be a good guy on the energy debate publicly? You know, he's actually building uh, in Texas with his. Uh, <laughs> Millions and millions of oil uh, profits and corporate rating over the year. Uh, one of the largest wind farms in the world and is actually now publicly extolling uh, the concept of renewable energy, which is the way to, to be immediately going here. Right. What, what do you uh, think George about Bush? Al Gore's uh, suggestion that we seek to be 100% green energy and what I think he said, 10 years? Yeah, well, oh, 50, I think, or by the year 2050. I think that was Al Gore's um, pipe dream, but also his uh, perhaps his public desire to be eliminated from the short list of VP candidates. Hmm. Uh, he's being prominently mentioned as a VP candidate. I don't know why he'd want to go on that trip again. Yeah, he's been there, done that. <laughs> uh, obviously qualified, and there would be plenty of advantages to Al Gore. And obviously, I respect the goals, the concept, the rhetoric of the speech. Well, you've got to have lofty goals yeah. that might be unattainable. To link it the, to Kennedy and the and you know getting the, the man space on the program, moon right. is is uh, that's exactly it. And obviously, some politicians are getting it. Um, Jennifer Granholm's had some problems here and there, but she's going in the right direction on yeah. that issue uh, publicly. And and uh, in the midst of all these problems in the auto. Uh, industry, um, you know, announced last week that there's going to be more, uh, a plant up in the UP that works on methanol, uh, cellulose, uh, methanol, ethanol, hmm. uh, and that is a better way to go than using up food. Um, so that's the way to go, but this idea that America can drill its way, quote-unquote, out of the crisis is uh, puerile nonsense. Uh, the foreign uh, dependency on you know more and more oil is is in the cards. It's just simply the United States simply doesn't have uh, the known oil reserves um, in relation to its consumption. And while it is a good trend, for instance, that March of this past year marked the first month uh, since the government's been keeping records in which uh, total mileage driven in the United States declined. Um, the decline is so minimal, uh, it's going to have very limited impact on, um, shall we say, gas prices in the near term. Now it is, um, shall we say, heartening that uh, there is some substantive efforts by the uh, both the uh, auto companies and American consumers to go to more fuel-efficient vehicles. 
Um, this, of course, the reason that this is so crucial, obviously we cannot eliminate oil from um, the economic wherewithal of the world. Oil is used in all sorts of... Uh, A million and one applications. Yeah, uh, we, we need not get into all the you know, plastics, this, that, and the other. But the facts are that 70% of the oil used in America is used for transportation. Mm -hmm. And those are areas, light rail... Uh, mass transit. We we talked about this, or I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that uh, in the year 2000, the auto companies spent more money marketing uh, big vehicles, primarily, because uh, those commercials are still on television uh, every day, <laughs> uh, especially if you watch uh, baseball or whatever. Any sporting event. Any yeah. sporting event, they're ubiquitous, um, spent more on advertising, marketing, than uh, is spent nationally on mass transit. <laughs> this is where our priorities are misplaced, and it would be uh, refreshing if uh, we would have a more uh, open discussion about these priorities rather than getting into this silly debate that we're currently having about whether or not we should be drilling for more oil in the Outer Continental Shelf. George Bush is an expert on dry holes. Um, this isn't even a dry hole that can save McCain. Um, <laughs> but, of course, McCain has exploited this uh, polling information that shows uh, the public marginally supports the concept of a gas tax suspension. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, this is just a classic flip-flop by John McCain on uh, public issues of the day, and uh, we've, we've even had open discussions of nuclear power. Mm, how unfortunate that there were two uh, nuclear leaks in France over the past week. Uranium. Good reminder. <laughs> uh, getting into the... That stuff is far from foolproof yeah. and uh, potentially devastating. So serious uh, debates about energy need to be need to continue... But um, I don't know. These, the, 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 the current uh, sort of simplistic discussion um, or belief that we can, quote, drill our way out of the uh, crisis to the extent that it is, is even a crisis. Uh, okay, so Americans are spending more for gas. That means they're spending less for other things. Um, gee, traffic at the mall has probably declined a bit and people are realizing that the era of cheap food and oil uh, is over. Um, one editorial that I read recently, I can't remember who it was, it was just one of these sort of human interest editorials, noted that uh, this person noted that uh, it was the constant spending on the gas expense that is why you uh, notice it more. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that you see the price everywhere you go. Yeah. It's posted prominently everywhere you go. And that she noted when she analyzed her household budget that uh, she was paying considerably more for uh, utility bills and food, which, of course, is uh, partly related to this harebrained ethanol concept that uh, Bush and Cheney and uh, members of Congress promoted a couple of years ago to subsidize the farm belt or those red states where, ironically, they are paying much more of their household income 
for gas. It's going to necessitate some changes in our lifestyles. We've noted this before. But one important thing, I think, to uh, maybe conclude our discussion here is this notion that the surge is working. <laughs> this has been a mantra that we've heard all week uh, because Obama's been in uh, on, on the road trip, so to speak. Uh, plenty of uh, interesting discussion about where he's going to be speaking in Germany and whatnot. But um, I'm a little unclear why Americans continue to think that the surge is such, has been su such a success when you actually look at the facts. You know, as Patrick Coburn has pointed out, and this is an expert on the Middle East, uh, brother of Alexander Coburn. And he's been in Baghdad and its environs uh, for the duration of this yeah. war. He's pointed out that, first of all, there are 3.2 million Iraqis. Um, one in nine of the population that are refugees as a result. So part of the surge has worked because, in some sense, Baghdad has been ethnically cleansed. Right. Speaking of Ramadan Karadich. Uh, he also notes that there were long lulls uh, in the violence in Lebanon throughout the, the various civil wars in Lebanon that he covered uh, back in the... In Through the, the 80s and 70s, 70s and 80s. And 80s. So temporary benefits in Iraq, while certainly welcome, and I don't think there's any question that, that uh, General Petraeus is significantly superior in terms of military thinking. He actually is an expert on counterinsurgency to the previous Nimrods that Bush had uh, in the position of leading the Iraq war. Uh, we don't need to go into Donald Rumsfeld and all that, but it's just remarkable because you begin looking at some of the facts, like what's actually been going on in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Yep. <laughs> and then we can talk more about this next week because uh, uh, the increase in uh, terrorism and uh, suicide bombings and whatnot there are just startling uh, details that show that the surge is not working as much as advertised. Um, I can't remember. Zarqawi died, I think, in the, in the summer of 2006. And the surge was announced um, several months later, ironically, in response to the fact that the uh, many of the military generals had lost confidence in uh, the Bush approach. Mm -hmm. um, so we can talk more about this surge because this is becoming a repeated theme of the John McCain campaign. His surrogates are on television nightly, daily, talking about how successful the surge has been. And I it's think It's an utter fiction. That it's a matter of debate. And yes, there's been some improvement uh, in Baghdad and whatnot, but uh, the actual details, the devil is in the details. And uh, Morgan is in the house, so Yazoo City Calling will be coming your way next. Right here on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. Thanks to Andrew for engineering this evening. So do stay tuned. The Down Home Blues Show with uh, Morgan right here on this fine station. Big boy Brown, he runs a gin mill. 
that stuff in this town When you start to drink it you 